His name is Lyle Presler, punk rock legend and music industry vet. His name is Jim Shear, most tenured DJ in the history of music television. It's the week in music with Lyle and Jim, and it all starts now. Hello there, everybody. My name is Jim Shear. And I'm Lyle Presler. And on today's episode, Beyonce goes on vocal rest, the misfits return, Fifth Harmony becomes Fourth Harmony, and Bob Dylan dabbles in heavy metal. But before all of that, Jerry Heller, veteran music manager and co-founder of Ruthless Records, who helped put NWA on the map, died of a heart attack this week at the age of 75. Mm. Through songs and videos from Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, as well as the NWA biopic Straight Outta Compton, it was suggested, quite blatantly actually, that Heller's business practices weren't always on the up and up. So Lyle, does he deserve more credit than he's received in, say, the last 20 years? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... It's very difficult to to really know what the head of a label or a, a manager actually contributes to the process. Um, I mean, I, I certainly give him credit, or he should be given credit for recognizing that there was talent there and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of shepherding it, if you will, to the extent he did. Now, if his business practices were... Uh, you know, contrary to the best interest of the artist, then clearly he doesn't deserve much credit at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, I'm in no position to judge that. All I, all I go on is what I've heard. Um, of course, his his part of the his side of the story was completely different, you know, than than the other sides that you heard. Um, but I mean, it's like anything. You you give him credit for being there and recognizing it, and then you sort of say, "Well, the rest of it is whatever the rest of it is," because he's part. Of, he's part of the story. Yeah, oh, he's definitely part of the story. There's no question whether about that. whether Ice Cube likes it or not. Because Ice Cube was interviewed yesterday, mm. and he said that he ain't gonna pop no champagne, but he ain't gonna shed no tears either. It no, is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the best road for him to take. I, I mean, obviously he had his differences. Um, there probably was a time, though, where it was very exciting and he was very much part of the thing. Um, th- the thing about it is is that th- the manager-artist relationship, in, in my experience, is always one where it's a minute-to-minute, day-to-day kind of thing. You know, I mean, <laughs> one, yeah, one, one minute. And, and that also creates all sorts of issues because one of the biggest problems we had at record companies was when a manager would mess something up and then ride in on the white horse to save the situation that they created. And <laughs> and you knew why they were doing it. They were doing it to impress their client, you know. And, and you'd sort of, because you'd maybe, because, you know, it was taboo. One of the things that people don't understand, it's like taboo in that business if I get a call from a manager and they say, you know, blah, 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 you know, so-and-so is unhappy about this, I can't then just call that person. Like, I can't, mm-hmm. you know, it's in very rare instances can you then go around the manager to the actual artist and say, really? Are you really upset? And you knew that most of the time, not only were they not upset, they didn't know anything about it. They, you know, it was not a problem that had ever reached their radar screen until the manager said, "Oh, there was a problem, and I fixed it." Mm-hmm. You know, and then the the artist would look at you like, "What? You, you tried to screw me?" 
It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, yeah. See, I, I never had a uh, a favorable impression of Jerry Heller no. because I, I came of age musically in the 90s and there was that one famous Dr. Dre video. I think it was Dre Day. Right. Where they parodied Easy e and Jerry Heller. And he's like, sign your life. I, 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 I mean, sign your name right on the dotted line. Right. right. So, yeah. So if, you, if anyone watched the biopic, Paul Giamatti played Jerry Heller. Right. Rest in peace at the age of 75. So this weekend at Philly's Made in America Festival, rapper Jay Electronica made a declaration to the massive crowd. He said, if you're scared, stay down there. If you're not scared, come up here with me. Try to collapse this motherfucking stage. Let's try to tear this bitch down. <laughs> so more than 1,000 people got on stage. Festival security wasn't able to handle the situation Obviously, so the police were called, and amazingly, no arrests were made. Well, that's good. And amazingly, amazingly, Lyle, the stage did not collapse. You know what? He was borrowing a line from Parliament: "Tear the roof off the sucker." Right? You know that's what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a little bit unsafe. Um, I I don't think that's a, 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 something he should be doing. Um, you know, and I came from a band where there was often people on stage, stage diving and all that stuff. And Did you ever have a thousand people on stage? No, no. But, you know, <laughs> even if you have 20 or 30, it can be pretty tight. I know. You know, and and I and in the early days of Minor Threat, I actually had a, well, early days, very early days, I actually had a microphone and that had to go because I can't tell you how many times that thing was knocked into my teeth, you know, <laughs> by someone whose arms were flailing around in yeah. their, you know, HB dance, and they, you know. Um, and, and it can be a big problem. And, of course, the biggest problem then is that the security gets involved, and sometimes the security is cool and understand what's yeah. going on, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't understand what's going on, and they get really upset, and they think they have to overdo their job, and then you get people in fights, and then the police come, and then you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I had shows, we had shows that were shut down by the police, because not because anything really bad happened, just because the people in the establishment just couldn't figure out what was going on and got too frightened. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was yeah, good. I, I mean, I laughed. I laughed at this story, but this could have been a very serious oh, incident oh, in it, Philly over the it, weekend. It could have been really bad because you know you, you get in a situation like that, you don't know how people are going to react to stuff. Because doesn't I don't doesn't Budweiser sponsor Made in America? Oh, I don't know. Probably. I think initially they did, but if you has have a stage collapse in the city of Philadelphia, sponsored by a huge beer company, and some people die, Ooh. damn man. Jay, Jay Electronica, what are you doing? Yeah, he shouldn't do that. Yeah. So, in other festival news, the original Misfits reunited this weekend at Riot Fest in Denver, the first time the quote-unquote original lineup has played together in 33 years. 33 years. A headline from RollingStone.com read, Misfits reunion with Glenn Danzig stuns with 25 hits from hell. Yep. Lyle, you've played with Danzig. Mm-hmm. Uh, should the Misfits take the show out on the road? Listen, I, I hope they do, because I'm telling you, and this is something, like, there, I've run into people over the years who've said to me, boy, I wish I'd seen the Misfits back in the day. No, you really don't wish you'd seen them. <laughs> because I can tell you, and I was a huge fan and knew all the songs, and I remember they came to D.C. and they played, and... I couldn't figure out what song they were doing until it got to the chorus. 
And then I'd be like, oh, I turned into a Martian. I got it. <laughs> because every single song just sounded like... <laughs> I mean, it was just... It was horrible. And and I remember thinking, boy, it would be so great if these guys could play it like it sounds on the record or at least something like that. And the good news is now they can. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, and, and, and it should be this way because both Jerry and Doyle, the guitar player and bass player... Uh, um, or the other way around, um, they've been playing for 33 years. Mm-hmm. So they they know how to play. And I think if you go see the Misfits now, you'll hear what they should have sounded like all along. So gym, would, gym equipment is better in 2016, so and, they can keep their muscles big. At, well, yeah, they never had a problem with that, but um, <laughs> but the uh, but yeah, I would. I mean, I hope they take it on the road. I I would be very tempted to go. Yeah, because there's there's big set pieces. There were giant pumpkins, pumpkins on stage. Yeah, yeah, and they're only doing two shows: one in Chicago and then one in Denver. We'll see what happens. I think probably they'll try to figure out whether or not they can still get along. You know, because yeah. um, Glenn is Glenn is a is a hard person to get along with. Um, and uh, and but I hope they do. And and I I'll go, but I'll probably have to wear a disguise or something. You know. Okay. Well, the same was said about Axl Rose. Yes, exactly. He was a hard person to get along with. So maybe they got inspiration from Axl this summer. Maybe so. So in support of their new album, Revolution Radio, coming out on October 7th, Green Day have announced fall concert dates. Mm. Their tour kicks off September 20th in St. Louis and wraps up January 25th in Norway. And if you're wondering, they're playing Webster Hall in New York City on October 8th. Well, is so it good to see the boys back at it? So they're playing smaller venues then. It seems like for the the first leg. Yeah, yeah. Because well, they're doing they're doing some U.S. dates and then they're going over to Europe and then I would imagine they would come back next summer and play bigger venues. Yeah, that's a good move. I like that. Yeah, because I I think the last we heard of them, Billy Joe went into rehab right after his little meltdown at the iHeart Radio Festival. Right, and then you know that's always sort of precarious because as you've pointed out before, it's like being on the road is pretty tough and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's tough on people who have, you know, maybe some demons or maybe some tendencies. Um, so I hope, I hope, you know, they can hold it together. That'd be great. But I, I feel like they've been gone long enough. Mm-hmm. It's not like he went to rehab and said, "All right, now we got to support those three albums we put out." Right. They took a nice little break, recorded a new album, and back they're back at it again. Yeah, good. And by the way, I thought that was a terrible decision to release three albums in one year. Yeah, I don't really understand that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I think you you really run the risk of you know almost pulling a black flag where it's sort of like what what record are we talking about now? You know, <laughs> what, what which one? You know, yeah, maybe in you know 1968 it's a good idea, but in the 2000s it didn't make any sense to me. And then I, I don't think they could properly promote the second or third one because Billy Joe went to rehab. Right, exactly. So yeah, I like that one album is coming out on October 7th. This week, Beyonce celebrated her 35th birthday and had a Soul Train theme party attended by Usher, Puff Daddy, Janelle Monet, Alicia Keys, and others. And she better not have been shouting over the music at the party because her concert date at MetLife Stadium, which was supposed to happen today, was moved to October 7th because uh, Beyonce was told to go on vocal rest. Maybe she shouldn't have played so long at the VMAs. Well, you know, I had heard a, a little bit of a rumor before the VMAs that she was mm. having some trouble. She was having some vocal problems. 
Um, which I mean, that's not there's no bombshell there. It's it's that happens to a lot of people. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a tremendous physical. There's a tremendous physical impact on you when you're trying to do that. Uh, you're trying to put on a good show and you're doing it night after night, or you know at least every other night. Um, so many great singers have had issues with it. Um, you know, it's sort of like baseball pitchers. You know, I mean, there are some people who have perfect form and they never get injured. And then there's mm-hmm. some people who are tremendous, tremendous talents, tremendous ability, but because of their motion or whatever, they they get issues. And and it's also luck of the draw, really. But um, so it, it, her birthday, you know, the one thing I thought about her birthday was I didn't, I just didn't realize she was 35. Um, I mean, not. Did the, you think she was older? I or thought younger? she was younger somehow. Although that that when I think about it, that doesn't make any sense. But but. But it's sort of hard to remember how long she's really been on the scene, which has been a long time now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. The reason I thought it was interesting is because, you know, there was a time when being 35 would have in the music business would have meant that your audience would not be young. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that's amazing about her to me is that she's appealing to such a broad age group. Yep. Which is, you know, because like, there, you know, there were people who would be like, if you're th- over 30, you're not worth listening to. Because you're too I old, agree. you can't speak yeah. to me. I'm I'm 16. You know, you're not speaking to me. It's it's interesting. I don't know whether that's just an exception carved out for her, or whether that's indicative maybe a different attitude that people have about music and about musicians. I I don't know. Yeah. So happy birthday, Beyonce. Rest those vocal cords. And if you're a fan of both Green Day and Beyonce, that weekend in October is pretty sweet. So that Friday night, you get the new Green Day album, uh-huh. then you go see Beyonce at MetLife Stadium, and then the next night at Webster Hall, you get to see Green Day perform live. So save up your money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this week, member of Fifth Harmony, Camilla Cabello, who happens to be my favorite member of Fifth Harmony. Many people's favorite member. Yeah. Abruptly left the performance due to anxiety. It was said Cabello left because of a wardrobe malfunction, but she never returned. Mm. So the group finished without her, performing the final seven songs as a quartet. Uh, Afterwards, Cabello posted, Hi, Missouri. Sorry I couldn't finish the set last night. Cabello was back on stage two days later in Dallas. So for me, it's crazy to think that someone who does this for a living, even though, yes, I, I, I know that they're young, gets anxious on stage. You'd think that would be out of their system. Uh, not not so. I mean, Stevie Nicks, horrible stage fright. Yeah. Debilitating. See, I mean, I, I, I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah, I know. You'd think, I mean, particularly given the fact that they, they are as groomed an act as you could imagine mm-hmm. from beginning to end. Um, so are you suggesting there may be something else going on there? No. I mean, because it, it does happen. You hear stories about this from time to time. Mm. But... As someone who's been in bands, never I've never played arenas, but I thought, really? Like, you, you do this day in and day out, and you still get anxious about it? Yeah. And like I, I said, I, I get it, but I don't get it. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there could be, but there, the anxiety could be about something other than actually performing. That's true. I mean, it could be there's some sort of inter-band issue or issues that have created an anxiety level. I mean, I, I would find, I would think that being in, that kind of a group would be could be difficult, you know. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, oh, yeah. Everybody's sort of vying for the spotlight. I mean, I know just from being in a band with three other people, there were times, especially early on, where it was like, "Really, you're gonna get that attention?" So, Lyle, <laughs> I just had a 
like a quick flash of that guy in the Metallica documentary. Uh huh. The psychiatrist. Right. You were him just now. Oh, was like I? sitting down with Fifth Harmony. <laughs> so yeah, so Fifth Harmony should call Lyle up right now. You could have a sit down with them and bring them back. Yeah, maybe. Although I think I would probably be ill qualified to understand young women's issues. You know, really, really well. well no, you have a young daughter. Well, that's You'd true. But perfect. she's but she's a lot younger than they are. <laughs> they have they yeah, have no, they have different issues. I think. Yeah. What, what was it? Do you remember the name of that documentary? Uh, some kind so, of monster. Some kind of monster. Yeah, there you and go. As a matter of fact, I this is just a very quick thing. I, I was injured badly, and I had to go in every day for um, for uh, antibiotic infusions for about a month every morning. And I used to go to this place, and you know, you'd sit around those big armchairs, sort of like what you imagine cancer patients sit in. And it was a, mm-hmm. it was a group of people. I mean, and I was by far the youngest, but but the uh, the director of that movie was a patient. And uh, really, he, he he has since died. Um, I I don't know what his issue. I can't remember his name. It's terrible. Um, but I don't know what his illness was specifically. But it was interesting talking to him. And I I was a little bit embarrassed to you know say, hey man, some kind of monster, you know. But eventually, I worked up the the screwed up the courage to talk to him afterwards. And you know, he was a very nice guy. And it's a shame that he uh, is gone because I think he was a very good documentarian. Yeah, no, a very interesting film. It was, and it was surprising that they would have agreed to it, which I think was the, I think the major story is the fact that they agreed to do it. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what's really interesting about it. Yeah, and one more question for you on this Fifth Harmony issue. Were you surprised that the group seemingly had a a contingency plan to perform as a four-piece? Yeah, that's to me, I thought, really, like, you could, I mean, maybe... During the practice, it has said, okay, like, if anyone ever goes down, here's the four-piece plan. If another person goes down, we could do it as a trio. And by golly, we could also do it as a duo, worst-case scenario. Well, I don't know that they would have gone as far as duo. Um, right. But yeah. they certainly could have gone as far as saying what happens if one person is, is unable to perform. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly given the fact that we are talking about they all are vocalists. So mm-hmm. it's not like you lose your guitar player and there's nobody to play guitar. I mean, if you if you lose your drummer, your guitar player, and there's no one else, what are you going to do? You can't really do the show. Um, or if you did, it would be significantly different. Uh, and this is also me assuming that they're all singing live because someone might be laughing right now saying, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> they just move their mouths. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would almost guarantee that they're singing the track. I don't know what that track is. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's possible. You're right. It could be. It would be interesting to analyze tapes from two performances, one with and one so out. Without. This is me thinking too deeply into it. But yes. is there a member of Fifth Harmony that goes down and the show has to stop? I don't know if there was like who be, is who is the most important member of Fifth Harmony? Because like I said, Camille is my favorite. Well, I, I think if you talk to my daughter, it would be her. Like the, yeah. sh- the show should stop if she's not able to go. Um, I think she's by far the fan favorite, and you know you've you've heard rumors over the year, well over a year or so, that you know she might leave and do her own thing. Which I mean, someone will leave and do their someone own. Someone has thing. to, yeah. yeah. I mean, that it, will it's happen. the role. Yeah. You have to be the Justin Timberlake or the Beyonce of the group. Exactly. All right. So uh, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, Lyle and I will play yay, a, or nay. Rolling. We're joined with Camila Cabello. Am I saying that right? That's me. Um, say it again. It? Cabello? Yeah, you're saying that the first one? Say it again. Camila? Yeah, it's good. Okay. It's good. All good. Just have to make sure. I see a lot of interviews, and I think it's the last name they screw up. The two L's is a Y, right? Both. 
freely. They're just like, screw it, screw it. No, they, they say Camilla. Camilla, right, but it's Camilla. Yeah, it's Camilla, like, and then they say yeah. Cabello. Yeah, but two L's makes a Y in Spanish, right? Thank you. Cabello. I wish you were everyone. Get it right. Hey everybody, Jim Shear and Lyle Presler on The Week in Music, and it's time to dust off an old favorite, yay, a, or nay. Yay. It's that simple. I, I present a topic, Lyle, you cheer, you give me a mediocre cheer, or you downright say, nay, don't like it, bad idea. Uh, first up, on October 2nd, an Oasis documentary titled Supersonic, which chronicles the group's rise to fame and infamy in the 1990s, will hit theaters. Yay, a, or nay? Yay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... I agree. I, I think there's got to be... Just from... And I wasn't a big fan and didn't follow them, but I know a certain amount about them. There was a lot of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And, and it would be very interesting to see it treated in a, in a sort of historical and serious fashion. Um, I mean, just the relationship between the brothers is like, you know, amazing. Mm-hmm. So, and then there was the whole uh, feud they had with Blur, which oh my, which reached I know. which reached a point where you're like, oh, please, you guys got to stop doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited to see this. I saw a little blurb, blurb about it, and I, I I was like, wow, this is great. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, uh, dense with archival footage. Cool. So the Gallagher brothers going at it in the 90s? <laughs> yes, please. A- yay in all caps. So when talking about the sound of his next studio album, the follow-up to his massively successful Beauty Behind the Madness, The Weeknd said, the production feels aggressive but still sexy. The Smiths, Bad Brains, Talking Heads, Prince, and DeBarge play roles. We wrote it all in Los Angeles. I think it'll be the best sounding album I've ever done. It's hard to label the sound because when it first came out, nobody would label it R&B. I just want to keep pushing the envelope without it feeling forced. Yay, A, or nay on The weekend's new album or the promise of The weekend's new album. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I haven't heard it. But I'd say yay if if those elements. I'm I'm very surprised. I mean, the inclusion of the bad brains is very surprising. Bad brains and the Smiths. I thought talking I'd, heads. I thought I'd read it wrong. I mean, the Smiths I could almost <laughs> understand. Like, but bad brains is something that you know, at least it was. I mean, they were celebrated certainly uh, in even the mainstream press. At you know back in the '80s, but but they really are more or less a cult thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so to have someone of his stature talk, you know, talk about them as being included in the project, and I don't know what that means, by the way. I don't know if that's sampling. I don't know whether that's stylistically. I have no idea. Um, but hey, you piqued my interest definitely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have been, I would, too. I would have been interested anyway. But this now really, you know, doubles down on it. Yeah, now the yay, air, nay may change once we hear the album, right, right. but the promise of it, it's definitely a yay for me. In celebration of what would have been Freddie Mercury's 70th birthday, an asteroid has been renamed in his honor. And if you're wondering, Lyle, the asteroid roughly measures 2.2 miles across and zips through an asteroid belt between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. The asteroid was formerly known as Asteroid 17473. Yay, A, or nay? Yay. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know. What does that mean to anybody? I mean, it's not coming to Earth, right? It's, you know what? 
I was going to give it an A, and then I read the article, and they said Brian May was almost in tears. No, see, that's So good. instead yeah. of giving it an A, I'm going to give it a May. Well, well, here's here's the thing, though. Wouldn't it be more interesting if it was coming to Earth and it actually crashed into Earth and exterminated the human race? <laughs> that would be ironic. Well, <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to name that one after Freddie Mercury, Well, no, right? I know, but that's the point. It's like, you know, we are the champions. <laughs> that's it. See, they, they should call that one Glenn Danzig. That seems more down his alley. Or Ozzy Osbourne. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I, it's it, listen. It's a lot of fun. But I'm just I'm sort of immune to this because I don't know whether you've heard this for year after year after year. But this year, name a star after someone. I'm Rocky Moselle with the International Star Registry. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that so many times, and I'm like, well, you can you can copyright it in book form in the U.S. Copyright Office. So yeah, that, what, what makes us less impressive is that. People always say that there are more stars in the sky than grains of sand on the beach. Right. So if that's the case, everyone could have a billion stars or asteroids named after them. Well, and then the question is, would 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 it be the same if <laughs> if Captain Kirk told Sulu, put us in orbit around Darla <laughs> or or Ronnie Feck? You know, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, you know, instead of going THX44, you know, an uninhabited planet, it's like, you know, hey, let's go, let's go to Macy Gray. Can you put us in a standard <laughs> orbit around Macy Gray? I mean, I don't know. I just, to me, it's like, uh, you know, the whole thing is just sort of silly. Yeah. Although you did give it a yay. Lyle. I, well, I give it a yay because I think it was something that obviously Brian May wanted to do, and I think, and I think Freddie Mercury probably would have gotten a kick out of it. Right. So. Okay. On September 13th, which I believe is what? Is that on Monday? Mm. No, it's on Tuesday. Mm. Two, a, a record release on a Tuesday. Uh, I might have to check that. But anyway, 30 years after the fact, a Ferris Bueller's Day Off soundtrack will be released. Sadly, because I was looking at the track listing and I thought, well, Twist and Shout from the Beatles has to be on there. It's not. Really? Uh, there is a, a bonus track with a marching band playing it. Why? I don't know. I mean, you know, like we needed we needed some lawyer to make that happen. You need that song on there. Well, I don't think it would have been lawyers involved. I mean, they would have been involved in the licensing, obviously, but I don't think it would be the lawyers that create a problem. I got to think it's got to be somebody the who owns Beatles. The, well, the, or what was well? Twist and Shout was is that an Isley Brothers song? Yeah, I think so. Or. Hold on. Okay, we gotta up. look it up. But but in any event, <laughs> well, so oh, so it could it, it may have been the publisher. It may not be you know publisher. Yeah, it might not be the, the Beatles. Writers. Yeah, it may not be the the. Well, it wouldn't even be the Beatles. It would be the owners of the recording. Now, if if the if in fact you know Paul McCartney, Yoko et al. If they own the recording, then they can give their consent to that. But then the publisher would have to give consent to the use of the song. So, Twist and Shout is a 1961 song written by Phil Medley and Burt Burns, later credited as Burt Russell. song was originally recorded by the Top Notes, oh, uh, and then it later became a hit with the Isley Brothers. Right. Well, good for you. you had and that. then later the Beatles. Right. You know, but wow. sometimes those things are weird, you know? Like, let's put it this way. I, I don't believe that the people who own the master, the recording... Would would really be you know obstructionist when it came to putting you know 
for a movie that's 30 years old, that's a sort of a cult favorite, you know. Yes. I don't think that they would probably stand in the way of that. And they probably w- wouldn't be looking to make a King's Ransom off of it. But the publisher, uh, yeah. but the publisher could be looking for a payday. And maybe there just wasn't enough money there for it. I mean, it's no big deal because you can watch the movie sure. and you can pull up that clip on YouTube. But just as a ceremonial thing, I wanted the song to be there. Now, I am glad that uh, Dunka Shane from Wayne Newton <laughs> right. made the soundtrack. Right. Oh, so, um, oh, is this a yay, a or a nay? You mean on the soundtrack itself or on the lack of inclusion? Yeah, no, on the, on the soundtrack. I, I mean... I don't know. I think it's an eh because like oh, I was I was hoping to get four yays out of you no, in a row. The reason why is because I mean the movie's great, and you know I'd recommend that movie to anybody because it's just a lot of fun. But but the soundtrack is is just songs that I've heard hundreds and hundreds of times. I don't think I need to really hear those again. I certainly wouldn't put it on. Lyle, the score's on there too. Yeah, the score? <laughs> yeah, there was a score. Yes. Okay. So, like, are there? Key- you know, when he's he's running, he's like dun, 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 when he's okay leaving right. his house and uh, yeah, I guess so. What Rooney's ha- coming to the house. What happens when the Ferrari goes rolling off the uh, you know falls off the That's jack stands Star- and goes rolling? Star- is that Star Wars? That's Star Wars, right? Oh, okay. Oh no no no! I, I got you. You're talking about when the Ferrari goes off the side of the cliff. Yeah, when it goes through the through the through oh, the living room. I thought you were talking about when the the parking attendants were. Oh, uh, when they going when they go the when they go flying off on yeah they go over the bumps yeah. And I guess the Star Wars theme isn't on the soundtrack either. Well, damn it, man! That would be, damn it. That would be more of a Disney thing, right? At this point. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna give it a yay. All right. A, a ceremonial Just yay. When I come over to your house, don't play it, okay? No, no, I won't. Okay, I won't. You, you might like the score, though. Um, 75-year-old Bob Dylan will soon unveil a 26-by-15-foot iron sculpture, which he created. Blowtorch and all. It's called Portal, and it will be on permanent display at Maryland's MGM National Harbor Casino. Yay, a or nay? Well, yay, yay for him. Yeah, yay for a 75-year-old man making a, a metal structure like that. I mean, I've said it before. Like, I can't believe how hard he works, you know, considering who he is and the place, his place in history. You know, I mean, it's, it's so I, I at this point, I wouldn't be surprised at anything that he comes up with. Yeah. You know, maybe he'll, like, maybe he'll compete with Elon Musk to build a you know, electric car. <laughs> who knows? More than a new Bob Dylan recording... I would love a recording of him working on that, <laughs> asking what? people for pieces of metal. Pass me the blowtorch. Yeah, but but he but he could also do a variation on the um, on the Frank Ocean video. You know, he could do <laughs> he could do him constructing the the, <laughs> the the structure. Yeah, the sculpture. That'd be great. And it could have been streamed exclusively on Apple Music. Why not? So, uh, birthdays this week, Lyle. Well, it's kind of light for today, but uh, there are a couple of uh, singers of note. Uh, Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders is Mm -hmm. 65 years old today. Um, And Gloria Gaynor, famous disco songstress of I Will Survive, uh, Mm -hmm. is 67 years old. So, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, the number one single on the Billboard Hot 100 this week, Closer, from the Chainsmokers and Halsey. The number one album on the Billboard 200, Blonde, from Frank Ocean, for a second straight week. 
The number one song on iTunes, Closer, from the Chainsmokers and Halsey. The number one album on iTunes, Birds in the Trap Sing McKnight, from Travis Scott. And the number one song on Spotify, once again, Closer, from the Chainsmokers and Halsey. When we come back on The Week in Music, Lyle and I have our music picks of the week. Sure, I'm happy to do another song. You weren't good. Okay, is that what you want to hear? You want me to gut you like a fish for everyone to see? Is that what you want, little girl? Because let me tell you something. The truth stings, okay? Like salt on an open wound. You were an abomination. Your audition stunk up this room like a dusty, wet fart. You don't have it. You don't have it. And I hope to hell. You're good at something else because you sure as shit are not going to make it in show business. So that, to answer your question, is the truth. Hey guys, Jim Shear with Lyle Presler back from that quick timeout. And uh, it is time now for our music picks of the week. And Lyle and I coordinated this week mm-hmm. in the the legal world is that called colluding yeah we colluded Col- collusion <laughs> yeah we colluded hey, listen, listen so, this is a monopoly anyway so there's no real collusion yeah oh and by the way now that the summer's over and we've done our vacations and we've traveled we have to get Stephen Smith on an episode that would be of the great I was just thinking that before we started we need to do that yeah because we've, we've never had a guest on the week in music and he's got and nothing s- better to do so yeah, he's going to be our guinea pig. Yeah, but he's a, a good a good guinea pig, an educated guinea pig who knows his music and a person who knows about being on the air. So yeah, definitely. yes. And his girls are off in school now, so he sh- he should have time for us. Good, Call he him said up. he would. Yeah, and, and please, Stephen, don't take offense that we called you a a, a guinea pig who knows his music. <laughs> it almost sounds like an insult. <laughs> so my pick of the week, like. I always listen to the new releases. Nothing really stuck out this week. Right. So I wanted to use my pick of the week to foreshadow our game of Ask Lyle. Okay. So here goes. My pick of the week is In My Eyes from Rage Against the Machine off their covers album, Renegades. So let, let me, let's play it, and then we'll talk about it. In My Eyes from Rage Against the Machine off Renegades, a cover of Minor Threat.
talked about that once before mm. and you said you liked it but you wish they funked around with it more yeah yeah i mean uh, we knew in advance that they were going to do it because they asked permission which is something that was very nice and most people don't you know mm-hmm. and they don't have to but it's nice when people do um and i you know i was kind of thinking like wow you know tom morello is gonna play what i played you know, and it was mm-hmm. also cool for me that they picked In My Eyes because In My Eyes was the first song that I had significant, you know, writing input into. And Interesting. It, and it was also very different from what we had done before. Like, it had a very different feel to it. And it was also the song that got me back in the band after I went to college. It was like we released that single right as I was going to college, and it, mm-hmm. got, it got such tremendous response that I decided you know i'm gonna come back you know um so i was really excited about it well i think i think it's a it's a great version of the song and i don't have any problems with it at all it just would have been interesting to me if you know they tried to do something different with it um now you know but being fair there's unless you deconstruct it all together there's not a whole lot you can really do I mean, it's it's sort of it's one of those songs where it kind of is what it is, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if they if they wanted to completely deconstruct it, they could have done that, and they they could have. And, and there have been groups over the years who have deconstructed our songs and made them into things that are really interesting, and but not necessarily successfully interesting. So I use that pick of the week to foreshadow Ask Lyle. And your commentary right there just foreshadowed your pick because okay. talking about deconstruction, yes, that leads us into Lyle's music pick of the week. Yeah, my music pick of the week, uh, you know, is, is a is another throwback, but it's a it's a cover. Um, Evan Dando, who was the lead singer, guitar player, and basically uh, Mister Lemonhead of the Lemonheads, mm-hmm. um, in 1991 on the Lemonheads uh, uh, EP "Favorite Spanish Dishes." He recorded a version of the Misfits' Skulls 
from uh, their seminal record, Walk Among Us, that came out in 1982 on Slash. You want to play it? Yeah. So here, here you go. Skulls from the Lemonheads, a cover of The Misfits. Corpses all hang ahead and settle in. Bodies with no surprises in the blood drains down like devil's rain. We'll bet tonight. I want your skulls. I need your skulls. I Skin turn inside out Cause I gotta have you on my wall Gotta have you on my wall Cause I want your skulls I need your skulls I want your skulls I need your skulls You know what? It's it's deconstructed. There, you know, it's just acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's not too far off from the original. No, it's not too far off from the original. I think. Well, let's let's also say that lots of bands have done misfit songs over the years. Metallica has, Guns and Roses mm-hmm. has, Green Day has, My Chemical Romance has done. Yeah. You know, they've been a well covered band. The thing I liked about Dando's thing, and by the way, he still plays this. I, I saw a clip online of him playing it last year uh, somewhere. <laughs> so, so it's clearly it clearly wasn't a joke. You know what I mean? Like he didn't. Yeah. It wasn't like ha 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 ha. You know, I'm gonna do this and I'll never think about it again. And what I liked about it, sort of initially, was here's Evan Dando, who, if you don't know, was kind of the pretty boy indie rocker i mean all the girls loved evan yeah they did and what i liked about him though was he wrote interesting songs because he wrote songs about things that you wouldn't think you'd write a song about like he Mm -hmm. wrote he wrote a song called stove which was about getting a new stove and being sad that the old one was being thrown out and that's (laughs) sort of a weird thing to write a rock song about so i think what he saw i think he was a misfits fan but i think what he saw in that song was boy these lyrics are kind of crazy and they're, you know, uh, yeah. and, and, and if I do them like this with my acoustic guitar, I, I'm, 
it, what happens? It's just interesting. I mean, you know, blood falls down like devil's rain. I mean, it's kind of hard to put that into a nice little acoustic song. Yeah. And I think that's... Pack the that's heads what, off little girls the heads and off put little them on my wall. Put them on my wall, yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's really interesting. And I, again, I don't think it was sort of a diss or a joke. I think he really wanted to play it, and he still does. Yeah, because when I heard that cover, and then I went back to the Misfits original, which I'll play before... Which I'll play for the break, actually. Uh, I thought, oh yeah, I I, I can see it as a, a slower song mm-hmm. with that, that nice crooning, yeah, from both Evan Dando and Glenn Danzig. So uh, yeah, we're gonna take one more break. Uh, here is the original version of Skulls from the Misfits, and when we come back, we're gonna play Ask Lyle. Alright, it's that time, Lyle. Time to play Ask Lyle. Ask Lyle. Alright, so in the last segment, I uh, my pick of the week was In My Eyes from Rage Against the Machine, a cover of Minor Threat. So my question for you is we've been talking about Prophets of Rage. Mm-hmm. They are currently on tour playing basically all of their songs are cover songs except for one original, The Party's Over. Mm. So what if Tom Morello was perusing YouTube, mm-hmm. and he caught Lyle Presler's performance at MCA Day, and he said, oh, wait, Lyle's playing guitar again? Maybe I should get Lyle to come on stage and perform In My Eyes. Mm. Now, you've said before that you would not perform a minor threat song on stage. However, would you if Tom Morello asked? Well, the first thing I should say, and I don't know this to be true, but I believe that the impetus for Rage Against the Machine to do In My Eyes was not Tom Morello. Okay. The impetus was Zach. Zach. Now, you got to imagine if you're putting together uh, an album of covers, everyone's going to sort of have, you know, like, what would you like to do? What would you like mm-hmm. to do? And maybe the lion's share would go to Tom or would go to Zach. You know, you don't know how that works dynamically in a band. But you see what I'm saying? It's like sort of, you know, if someone came to me and said, hey, you four guys, you know, what covers do you want to do? My, my idea of, of covers might be completely different than the guy next to me, you know. Um, and you'd have to sort of negotiate that out. So I'm not sure that Tom really was, you know, that much a part of picking that song. I've never seen any evidence to suggest that Tom was was a, was a Minor Threat fan, although I know Zach was. Um, but to answer your question d- directly, if Tom Morello came to me tomorrow morning and said, hey, will you come up and play this song? I would probably call the other guys in the band and say, you know, I would like to do this. Do you have any problem with it? Yeah. And if, if any of That's them... That's what I'm talking about. If any of them said, yeah, I think I would prefer you didn't do it, I would say fine. I wouldn't... I wouldn't... It wouldn't... Really? I wouldn't be upset. No, I wouldn't be upset. I, wow. Because, because here's the thing. I would want them to do the same thing for me. You know? Okay. I, I mean, I would want... If Brian came to me and said, I want to play such and such a song with, you know, Tommy Stinson and blah, blah, blah. You know, I would be like, why? Well, first, I'd be, why? <laughs> why? Why do you want to do this? I mean, no, I mean, a perfectly legitimate why. 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the answer and depending on what it's for, you know, I would either say yes or no, or I mean, not yes or no, but like, yes, I, I'm perfectly comfortable with you doing it. Or, you know, I really don't know why you have to do that. Yeah. That's that's it. Okay. Because to me, it it would make sense because there's that famous Glennie Friedman picture of Public Enemy wearing minor threat shirts. Right. Chuck D of Public Enemy is in Prophets of Rage. Right. So it would be uh, be a nice full circle moment. Well, yeah, and and yet again, to, to, let's talk about that picture for a second. Um, we don't, I don't know the circumstances under which those shirts were put on. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like you know, sort of like we talked about the DNCE thing, where they were they showed minor threat on the screens behind them. Mm-hmm. It's like who made that decision? Was that? In- I think that was. I think Glenn had them. Yeah, I think Glenn had them. But what I'm saying is, I, they may not have even have known what they were wearing. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's possible that they just said, "Hey, put these on," and they went, "Okay, sure." And the next thing you know, there's a picture, and it makes it look like they're endorsing it when we don't know if they were endorsing it or not. I mean, maybe someone does. I don't. Yeah, but when you think of the big socially charged bands of all time, you think Rage Against the Machine, Minor Threat, Public Enemy. Well, so and, as a fan, yeah, as a fan, it would be it would be beautiful. Well, you know, and there was a Boston Rock piece back when Boston Rock was a big uh, was a big magazine, you know, a big tabloid, um, and they did you know four bands that mattered on the cover of I guess 1983, uh, and th- there was Public Enemy, REM, mm-hmm. uh, um, Minor Threat, and um, who am I missing? Oh, Dream Syndicate. So, okay. so there's a connection there, and yeah. we do know that there's a connection between uh, REM and Minor Threat, uh, several connections. So it's possible. It's possible they knew exactly what they were doing. I don't know. See, I, L- I, Lyle, I'm thinking bigger than Professor Booty and the Shore Shots. <laughs> you, you're, you're now my agent, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I need an agent right. and a publicist. So my next question in Ask Lyle, and this is more kind of a, a question you would ask an advice columnist. Mm. Um, my college band Milkweed, we, we formed in 1994, and then we were asked to perform a music festival in 1996 at our college, and we think that they pretty much put on the festival because we were the only band on campus. Okay. So, long story short, we weren't allowed to play the festival because they thought we weren't family appropriate, so we threw our own rival festival next door to the campus... And the township commissioner came and literally pulled the plug on us. Ooh. So 20 years after the fact, Footloose. we are going back to Wayne. <laughs> Shut 20 it years down. after the fact, we're going back to Waynesburg to finish the concert properly. Uh-huh. So my question for you is all of our, we had there was probably 5 or 10 core fans. Friends that have to be there. I would say five or six of those friends cannot be there on October 8th. What do we do? We don't reschedule, right? Because if you reschedule, then a whole bunch of other people might not be able to show. So how would Lyle Presler handle this? Because we need Jason. We need Jason there and Ann and Chris and Troy and Mike. And I don't know if they're coming or not. I don't think they're coming. No. Family obligations. That's a tough one, man. So, but what's the downside to rescheduling it? I'm just... Well, the, the thing is, we've got four players, and amazingly, all of the four players can converge on Waynesburg on October 8th. 
Uh-huh. So I'm afraid if we reschedule, someone's going to be like, well, I can't. Because someone's coming from Colorado. Someone's coming from Philly. Another one, I think, is coming either from Rochester or D.C. Right. Well, I mean, listen, if 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 there's a, a chance that you can't get the actual players there, then you don't have a show. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that has to rule at this point, right? I mean. No. In the early minor threat days, mm. did you have essential friends? It just it, it made a big deal if they were at the show. Well, I guess the answer to that is no. Um, but, but but you have to understand that we were part of a scene, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, the same characters showed up all the time no matter what. Okay. You know, so I let's mean, say some of those same characters can't come to the show. Yeah, that wouldn't have made a difference then because fairly quickly there were more characters. <laughs> so, you know, and, and again, particularly if we played New York, we didn't expect anybody from D.C. to come. Now, people would. Um, mm-hmm. But but it wasn't like we expected that or, or relied upon it. I don't I don't ever recall wondering or worrying about that in the least. Um, okay. But of course that's a different circumstance. So I don't I don't know if that's really helps you out at all. I I think that- so. I don't I don't want to reschedule because I I just feel that if we reschedule then we'll have our secondary tier of friends and they'll say, well, I can't do it now because my, my son has a birthday party that weekend. Right. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it on October 8th. I think you should just... So what's our next plan of action? I think you should shame your friends that, you know, are, are on the fence or, you know, just say, look, I don't, I don't get it. Just, you know, it's a baseball game. Who cares? They're hitting balls off a tee. Who, who cares? <laughs> See, my sister and her husband can't come because it's homecoming weekend and they have high school kids. Oh. So they want to get them ready for dances and take pictures for the dances. Right. Well, then why don't you set up a live stream? Well, we're going to tape it. Uh-huh. So there'll be evidence that we performed in Waynesburg. But it'd be nice to have your people there. It would be nice, yeah, because they were always there back in the day. They never missed a show. Well, let me ask you this, Jim. How do you feel that this will be attended in general? I don't know. (laughs) So, in other words, it could be the difference between five people or crickets. Yeah. Right? Or as I I like to say, pool balls hitting each other. You know, thank you very much. (laughs) Click. Yeah. <laughs> and like some murmuring of sports channel in the background, you know what I mean? Yes, like, yeah, that's yes. Th- that's because if you have five enthusiastic people, you're like, well, it's worth it because they're going nuts, right? <laughs> and if they're not there, I'm afraid nobody's going to show up. Well, I have to say that that as a musician, uh, such as I was <laughs> and am, or whatever, the absolute most disappointing thing in the world is to play a show and there's no one there. It, it it is yeah. it is devastating and and the thing you always heard <laughs> this became like it's one of those cliches but the, you know it get to be about eight thirty and there's like thirty people there and the promoter's going ah oh, don't worry this is a late town people show up late <laughs> and as soon as they said that you knew like this is now hopeless like there's no such thing as a late town unless you're talking about like New York <laughs> and Chelsea or something like that you know what I mean like that was just always the mo- I hated when people would do that like oh don't worry. They'll be here. Well, really? <laughs> They're not here now. What are they stuck in traffic? All of them, you know. Uh, so I guess the final part of this question is: How do I get people there? Should I take out ads in the the college newspaper? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think your story that you told me about how you got shut down by the okay. by the evil city council. 
you, yeah. you know, I think there's your hook. Like people will go so like, sell the story. Yeah, people will be like, oh man, I wonder what this was all about. And then of course you'll disappoint them. But that's that's, that's sort of a different problem. <laughs> well, yeah, we just want we just want people there. Right. No, I understand. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you should play up the story. I mean, okay. Do they have a local radio station? Do they have a college radio station? They do. Okay. No, I don't know if the radio station would be happy with us bashing the college. Well, I don't know that you have to bash the college. I think you have to just sort of say, hey, it was a different time, you know. Yeah, it was, a, it was a different yeah. world in 1996. Yeah, we've moved on. It's a different world, yeah. you know. I, I, don't, I don't think you have to get into the bashing part of it, but I think you can build, okay. you can build the story a little bit. And if, they'll, if they'll sort of help you get the word out, you know, if, I think, you know, people might, people might go just out of simple curiosity. Like, why were these, yeah, why a were Saturday these guys? Saturday night? Yeah, why were these guys shut down? What happened? What else are you going to do in Waynesburg on a Saturday night? I, I can't imagine much. <laughs> and not to make you feel awkward, Lyle, but Matt D, who is our all pro guitar slash bass player, mm-hmm. huge minor threat fan. And when we did the uh Professor Booty and the Shore Shots concert, he said, You just lived one of my dreams. Ah. You got to be in a band with a member of Minor Threat. Well, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I think he owns the whole Discord catalog. Oh, actually. good for him. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of those people keeping it all afloat. Um <laughs> Well, listen, I mean, regardless of how it turns out, and of course, Jim, I'd love to be there, but I can't because I have a family obligation. But um, <laughs> but I hope it turns out well. Why don't, why don't you play guitar and you could make Matt's dreams come true? No, I'm not going to go to okay. to some horrible, out-of-the-way place to play guitar. All right. All right. No, I, yeah, I already I already got you for MCA days. No, so. I, I, so, I mean, is, are we done with the Ask Lyle? Yeah, we're done. Because you didn't ask me, but we I want to follow up for just a second on the thing we talked about last week, the the Kaepernick thing. Oh, okay. Because, okay. because as you and this and then we're gonna relate it to music just as a way to get into this a little bit, tiny little bit. But I don't know whether you heard, but both J. Cole and Trey Songs wore Kaepernick jerseys at, okay. at recent appearances. Um, and I've sort of caught a lot of the the talk about this, which is still going on. If you listen to mm-hmm. talk radio, if you listen to sports radio, you're going to hear this. And and um, and and I think you and I basically agreed that first of all, it's his absolute right to do it, and that that's part of our country. Yeah, I think I expressed a little bit of concern about the the symbolism of it and how symbols are 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 interpreted. Mm-hmm. And I read an interesting op-ed by a guy, and I don't know anything about him, but it, but he's obviously sort of a, an intellectual of some sort, who made the point, rather narrow point, that the problem often when people rely on symbolic gestures, especially if they are well-known, you know, and have an, an audience, the problem mm-hmm. is those sim- symbols can often be misconstrued. And he, he basically used the use Kaepernick as the jumping off point for this, but he said, you know, if we went to Colin Kaepernick and said, do you think all white people are racist? He would say no. Do you think all Mm -hmm. police, do you think all police are bad? He would say no. Do you think all black people are oppressed? He would say no. But yet, the symbol that he used without other explanation, and he has tried to go and explain what he did, but without mm-hmm. explanation, it can be construed in so many different ways, some quite radically removed from what his position is. And mm-hmm. the, the guy's only point in the column was, when you're in that position as a person and you have that much reach, I think you need to be a little bit more specific about okay. what it is you are upset about and protesting. 
But so I thought that was sort of interesting. But what I also found is the people who are upset by what he did are using all sorts of really, really bad arguments against it. And the worst I heard the other day, and I won't say who said it, but somebody who has pretty big reach um, in terms of audience, said essentially like, here's a guy who is biracial, was put up for adoption, was adopted by a white family living in a beautiful, relatively affluent California locale. He's never been oppressed in his life. He has no right to say this. Ah. And I was just listening to it, and I had to like turn it off because I was so angry at that. Because that is just that is completely antithetical to what you were talking about. Like yes. your status in this country does not deny you the right to be upset about what's happening. Now, mm-hmm. now there is a point where hypocrisy can set in. I mean, you know, th- 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 we sure. can we can imagine circumstances in which someone is basically living in complete hypocritical fashion given their their statement on things but this notion of foreclosing and especially as attenuated as that is like oh well he wasn't really african-american he's half african-american and he didn't even grow up with african-american i mean that is ridiculous i just and so i hear things like that being used i think that i'm gonna lecture everybody right now i think that that's the wrong approach to take if you're gonna be opposed to what he did be opposed to it on there's a number of different grounds you can be opposed to it you can say you can say it's disrespectful you can say that it's the improper place to do it you can say that you simply don't agree although you'd be denying a lot of information but you know but don't tell me that the person's background means that they can't be critical of something that they're seeing. Because if that's true... I mean, yeah, well, that destroys the whole system. Then we could never go to a gay rights march. Right, Be like, yeah. well, you're not gay, you're not allowed to... I'm like, come on, man! Yeah. I'm, I'm in for the cause, though. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, usually in circumstances where one smaller group is having a problem, only when the wider group gets involved does anything yes. get done. Yes. I mean, if, 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 if men eventually didn't decide that women could vote, women probably still couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. Because you'd have 51 to 49, you know. So, I, I mean, I, I think that people have to be really careful about this stuff. It's like, I, first of all, I think this is a tempest in a teacup. It usually is. I mean, if, if someone was reminding me, do you remember when there was a Murphy Brown episode, like a whole thing in the show where she had a child out of wedlock? Yes. And it became a huge kerfuffle. I mean, it was like, yes. wasn't Dan Quayle going on about it? Yes, Dan Quayle. Mm-hmm. He was running for vice president of the United States, and he's going on about this. And even at the time, I thought it was silly, but you, you see how silly it looks now. I mean, mm-hmm. it looks positively ridiculous. So mm-hmm. I'm not, and I'm not saying that this will look ridiculous. I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm saying is, like, I think these things just generate all this heat and, and it causes people to sort of lose their minds. And we have to remember, at the end of the day, this is one person trying to say something and trying to call attention, and as you said, trying to generate some discussion. And it has generated some discussion. Unfortunately, unfortunately not all of it is valuable or helpful. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you know, you got to be careful not to slay the messenger just because the messenger comes along and says, hey, maybe we might ought to look at this. So that that's my little rant, if you will. No, I've, yeah, I found that to be very discouraging, and it, and I I often hear that kind of stuff, and it just seems, yeah. you know, even when I was in Minor Threat, there, there was this whole thing about like, 
well, you guys can't be punk rockers because you all come from middle-class families. I was like, what? Yeah, and in England, in England, they're on the dole, which puts them positively at the same economic stature. You know, so I mean, and, and, and I remember the Washington Post, like at one point in the first article, I think they wrote about us or about it. They told they said we were all from the suburbs. None of us at that point lived in the suburbs. We mm-hmm. all lived in D.C. proper. And it was like, really, this is this is the stick you're going to beat us with. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of sticks you could pick up and beat us with them, but <laughs> this isn't one. So, you know, I, 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 I have a certain sensitivity to that kind of attitude because I don't think that's right. No, I, I like Lyle as a preacher. <laughs> if you got on the pulpit, I'd be there every Sunday. Yay! Yeah, yeah. And speaking of the NFL, it kicks off this season. This week, so, this week, um, right. We had all this dialogue during the exhibition games. Imagine what's going to happen when national TV is involved now. Well, that'll be interesting, definitely. And, and I would just like to say, can't we go back to when the National Football League began the third week of September? I mean, I it's just like, it's just, I mean, someone said, tomorrow night's the first game. I'm like, oh, what? Why? <laughs> but, I know. But that just goes to my everything's too long, basically. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, summer is over. So go Redskins. would say. Go Redskins. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever so, uh, they should be called. Yes, uh, the the what the professional football team from Washington D.C. Exactly. There you go. So uh, for Lyle Presler, my name is Jim Shear, and we will see Yins later. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building. <laughs> <laughs>